Uh, so hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Jake, and I'm, I'm very grateful that uh, Pastor Ed gave me an opportunity to speak to you all today, um, to kind of share what's on my heart. Um, first, bef before I start anything, though, I do want to throw out just, if there is anything that I say that makes you feel uncomfortable or just feels like it's just off, um, please come see me after service so we can have a dialogue about it. Because most likely, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> Okay, uh, I have a, I have a hard time with uh, with sermons because, like, to me, I think that a lot of this stuff I'm presenting should actually be a dialogue, and it's really hard to do a dialogue in this format. And so, if you guys see me after service, um, we're able to have that dialogue, and we can kind of clarify some things. So, um, so I preached. I first preached in May, and in that sermon, I talked about sort of a way of of interacting with scripture engaging with scripture and that was um to focus on instead of focusing like my on myself and who i am and the ways i'm falling short and how god is amazing actually just to focus on how god is amazing so it's focusing on who god is what he does and then letting that translate to who am i and what i do and so after that sermon i was actually um really beginning to think about the idea of of sabbath sunday uh, or just the, what we observe on Sunday in terms of coming to the Lord, worshiping Him, praising Him, and thinking through, why does, why does God need Sabbath? Why does God need rest? And also understanding if, and, and thinking that, like, if I can understand why God needs rest, I can understand why I need rest. So I'm going to dig into that a little bit. Um, the, the passage that I'm going to try to stay in mostly, although I'm going to be jumping around and I apologize, but I'm going to try to stay in Hebrews chapter 4. Um, and so um, I'm going to do verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read all of that just up front and then I'm going to reference it throughout my, my sermon. Um, uh, so I'm going, to, I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to pray and then we can kind of get into it. Okay. So Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet this works have been finished since the creation of the world for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words on the seventh day god rested from all his works and again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest therefore since it still remains for some to enter that rest and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience god again set a certain day calling it today that he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from, the, from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing, dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. God, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for everything that you are. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your compassion, your loyalty, and your wisdom. God, I just ask today that you just help me speak your word with faithfulness, clarity, simplicity, and humility, and that above all things that your name be glorified in this place. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you guys were trying to like follow along with the scripture that I read, uh, you probably got lost a lot, because I did. Um, because what I realized when I really kind of dug into the scripture is that Hebrews is really hard. The author of Hebrews, which nobody really quite knows who, who wrote it, some think, he uses some like Paulian ter- terminology, but he's still not quite Paul, so they don't know who wrote it. But the author of Hebrews is actually assuming a lot about the audience that he's writing to. There's a lot of sort of like known knowledge that just we don't have that context today. Or at least I don't reading the scripture. I, I know a little bit about Old Testament theology, but I still, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Um, so I don't think I'm going to be able to like go through verse by verse and pick it apart. I think I do have a pretty solid understanding of what is being communicated here in this verse. But before I really dig into Hebrews, I'm actually going to re- just, just take a, a, a pause and I want to talk about Sabbath a little bit, or at least the, the sort of the ways I see Sabbath play out in Scripture. I see Sabbath play out in three ways. The first way is through the law. It's the fourth commandment. The second way is in the story of creation. God is taking a Sabbath rest on the, on the seventh day. And then the third is sort of this Sabbath that, that the Hebrews is talking about. Um, and I, I don't think these are necessarily like different Sabbaths. Or, you know, it's more of just sort of different ways of viewing the Sabbath. So, to begin, so, Sabbath, as, as far as the commandment goes, was actually, it was, it was given to us in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verses 8 through 9. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So, I know for me, when I hear the word work, I tend to go to like physical labor or profession. But I guess in in, in sort of biblical Hebrew, there's different words for work. So they have a word that sort of represents sort of like a servitude, like you're a servant, you're working. And then there's a word about, um, it's sort of like a creative work. It's work that is expressed, um, it's, it, it's you expressing like sort of a, a dominion over your environment. So, and so when the word work is being used here in the scripture, it's actually referring to that sort of creative work, the work of when we're expressing sort of dominion and control over the environment that we find ourselves in, that is the work being talked about. So they actually broke this down into 39 different categories. 
of sort of creating-ish type work, and I'm not gonna say every 30, all 39 of them. I'm just gonna give you some examples. So like planting, so you're planting in the soil, you're, you're, you're manipulating the earth, you're planting a seed, you're watering it, you're making it grow. That's sort of showing sort of control over, over uh, your environment. Uh, kindling a fire, um, extinguishing a fire, hoisting stuff around in public. And so for those that actually uh, observe the Jewish Sabbath or, or Shabbat, um, they actually have a, like a modern take on it where they view these um, things like uh, checking emails or doing errands or driving or cooking or using technology. They've all, um, they've sort of grouped these things into these, one of these categories. Uh, one of the thing I, I read that I thought was interesting is like driving a car. The reason why driving a car is forbidden on the on the on Shabbat is uh, because you're extinguishing a flame. You're you're uh, creating a flame and extinguishing it, like the the engine. <laughs> so the thing I thought was really really interesting though is is that I thought that when I was going to dig into sort of the practice of Shabbat and and sort of the the rest that is found in the law. I thought I was going to find like legalism. I thought I was going to find chains and bondage. But actually I was surprised that that's not what I found. Because everything that I read about the practice of Shabbat was actually designed to give us freedom and that genuine rest. Because the idea of Shabbat was actually for us to cease sort of us trying to control the world that we find ourselves in and remind ourselves that God is God, and we are not. So it was breaking from us trying to control things and give us an opportunity to actually connect to God and to rest in his providence. Sorry, I got lost. All right. So that's... um. That's sort of Sabbath from the perspective of the law. The next I want to talk about is sort of Sabbath from the perspective of the creation story. And actually, this is sort of was almost at the heart of what I was trying to figure out when I decided to kind of dig into this. Um, so the creation story, you have Genesis 2, uh, 2 through 3, that talks about sort of the rest that God takes. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. So the big question in my mind is why is it that a God of infinite power needs to rest? In Isaiah 40, 28, it talks about, uh, you know, the Lord is everlasting God, creators of ends of the earth, and that he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding we cannot fathom. So the more I dug into this, the more I realized that what is being described here, the seventh day, there's sort of two, two parts here, two things that are happening. The first thing that's happening is God is stopping the work of creation. He's ceasing to create. And the reason why he is ceasing to create is because the work has already been finished. He has finished creation. Every single day of the, of the creation story, God declares it good. 
And finally, when it's all done, he says that it is very good. The work has been finished. And so now God no longer needs to create. So now he can, he can delight in the creation. He can delight in the work that he did. And then there's the second part. That delight means that now he can take ownership and he can rule. So he goes from creation to sort of piloting this planet that he created. He, he's the ruler. He's exercising his dominion, his authority. The closest analogy I can think of to this. Um, I've never, I've never actually created, a, like, I, I never participated in building a hot rod. I just like, I don't know, know about it sort of. I, I did a quick, re, uh, a quick Google search um, and I got like a quick wiki how on how to build a hot rod. But the thing, um, and I had, I had written it all down too, to sound smart. Um, I don't have to actually read that part, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was like, you know, find out what kind of what car you want to make. You know, you pick your chassis and the drive shaft and it had all these fancy terms and stuff like that. But I just, you know, the thing that like I thought of in my head was just sort of how, you know, you would buy all the pieces and you would sort of do the work to get it to all come together. You would sort of create this thing that you had in your head. You know, you would get the chassis that you wanted. You would be able to paint it and buff it and make it look nice. And then hopefully at some point, I'm assuming all hot rod projects end this way, you're done. There's no more work to be done on the hot rod. <laughs> I like to think that. But if, if we lived in a world where you could, uh, all the work would be finished, now at that point, the only thing that you would, uh, you would do is, is you can now enjoy the hot rod. You can take it out for a joy ride, and you can sort of exercise your rule as you're, as you're guiding this car around. So this is, this is what's happening uh, I believe this is what's happening in, in the gospel, in, in the, sorry, in the creation story. And the thing I think is really significant about this is that there's a, there's a connection here. God's rule is God's rest. God's rule is rest for us, and it's rest for him. So now, let's try to, let's try to dig into what's happening in Hebrews chapter 4. Because um, I actually think there's sort of like a, there's sort of two things that are happening here, I believe. It's like, it's almost like a sandwich. You have the, the sort of the first verse and then the last verse, which actually, well, not last verse, but like close to the end, where it's sort of talking about how it is sort of, it, you know, we believe in Sabbath rest but yet sort of there's like almost this withholding of rest. Talking, the, the, the author of Hebrews sort of references sort of the Israelites and how um, because of their disobedience, they actually spent 40 years wandering the desert. They weren't able to experience the rest of the, the promised land. And some of them never, never got to see that. And so the author here in Hebrews is sort of talking about how it's like we talk about this rest but I kind of think that we don't actually experience the rest that God is offering. Because why would God continue to offer it throughout all of the scriptures? God is constantly saying, my rest is here. You can take it. You just have to soften your heart. Like, don't harden your heart. 
hear me, listen to me. This rest is available to you. He's constantly offering that. And so I believe that the author of Hebrews is sort of realizing that first of all, that rest that was offered in the Old Testament is available here today. And the way you find that rest is through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Jesus becomes our Sabbath rest. And the way that works out is through the gospel. I categorize the gospel, I sort of, I, I, I segment it a little bit in two, two pillars. I think the first pillar is that we are able to rest in hiding from our sin. No longer do we have to pretend like that's, it's not there. So that's the first pillar, I'm gonna dig into that in a second. The second pillar is we can rest from having to strive for achievement. The, the word works that gets used <clears throat> um, here in Hebrews, uh, it's, 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 it's like using legal language. Um, it's basically talking about the works of the law. And so when it talks about works in Hebrews, it's actually saying that, um, that the works of the law isn't what justifies us to God. What justifies us to God is the work that's already been done through Jesus. And, um, and actually, I'm going to rewind just a little bit because I think the best way to kind of view this is to, to zoom out a lot and to look at the full picture. So I'm going to try to paint that picture for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created humanity. It was an act of love. He creates us. He finishes his work and he, he's able to rest in, in, the, in, in, in his work and he rules. And in that rule, humanity has rest. Until we decide that we want to be our own king. We decide that we want to take control over our lives. And when that happens, we lose that rest. And so as an act of mercy and love, God gives us the Sabbath. Every seven days, we have an opportunity to experience the rest that we experienced in the garden. It was there as, as a reminder And then you have the story of the gospel, a story that mirrors creation, because now we have a new Adam, that's Jesus. And through the work that he did, through his life, he did it perfectly. He did it what was, he did everything that was needed to be done so that he can be the perfect sacrifice, so now his life can justify us to God. When God was on, so in creation, Timothy Keller actually has a really great quote, I'm not gonna quote it exactly, because I don't know it exactly, but the quote goes something like this, is that 
in creation, uh, God created um, the world. Uh, God created the world, and to declare it was good. In the same way, Jesus did the finishing work on the cross and said it was finished, and that it was that that work was good. So now, in the same way, you sort of have this mirror, because I, essentially the message of the gospel. Um, it's the same conundrum that you see in, in, in the garden. In the garden, it was Adam and Eve not believing that God was enough. They, they felt like there should have been more. Just like today, we have a hard time believing that the work of Jesus Christ is enough. We are constantly finding ourselves in a position where we're adding on to the gospel. Whether it's gospel plus moralism. Well, you just need to do all these good things. You need to claim for life. You need to do this. You need to do that. Or gospel uh, plus works. Or gospel plus miracles. Or gospel plus blessing and prosperity. Like we're trying to tack on to it. When all we need is Jesus. All we need to do is surrender. To no longer try to take the reins of our life. Give those reins over to God and understand that it is in that that we find rest. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the two pillars that I mentioned. The first being sort of like a, a, a resting and hiding from our sin. I think it's interesting that... Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk from experience. When I was younger, my, my thought about, about living the Christian life, my perspective on that was that it was really about presenting an image that was holy and acceptable to other people. And it never, ever dawned on me. And it says this in, in Hebrews. Never dawned on me that uh, nothing in all of creation is hidden. God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must be give account. So, from the outside, I looked pretty clean. I was a good kid. Uh, my dad can attest to that, I think, maybe. I didn't, I didn't give him too many gray hairs. You know, I, I kind of I kept my nose clean. I wanted to get good grades. And actually, uh, really what happened when I was in high school was I very much worshipped the approval of my dad. I wanted my dad to say that I did a good job. And so I did everything I could to make sure that happened. So I, I ran a Bible study every morning. I, you know, I, I just wanted that approval from him. But the thing is, though, is, is that I, all I was doing was just, you know, I, had, I cleaned up my life and I exchanged one set of sins for another. Because deep down, I didn't know who God was. I did not love God, which is silly. Because why would you want to spend an eternity with somebody that you don't know? One of the things when we're talking about sin that we need to be aware of is that it's really, really easy to sort of let our conscious drive when we think about sin. It's like, well, I feel that it's wrong, so it must be wrong. That is not a good way to do it. Uh, the conscious sort of gives us an idea. It's like a, a, it's a sort of a compass, but it's not accurate. If you want an accurate description of what sin is, 
you need to go to the Word of God. Because sin isn't what you think, or at least I think, that sin may not be what you think it is. It's not about doing the right thing. It's about your heart and where your heart is coming from. I think it was Martin Luther that said something along the lines of, you cannot break any of the uh, Ten Commandments without breaking the first one. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because sin, the origin of sin, is always idolatry. It's always unbelief. There is something that we are not believing about God and the gospel. And I'm, I'm talking to you guys this morning as an unbeliever. There are things about the gospel that I do not believe. I don't know what they are yet. God is revealing that unbelief to me. So I also want to mention too that this message I'm giving this morning, this isn't for you guys. This is for me. These are the things that God's been just working with, working with me through. Because oftentimes, too, we think like the gospel is just, it's just conversion and then it's good, right? Like you have that conversion and that's the only time you really need to like wrestle with the gospel. That is not true. The gospel is an everyday thing. There's, there's so many things in my life that I am worshiping right now that are not God, including this sermon today. I stayed up till five o'clock in the morning trying to get the words right, writing out a script. I wanted to control the outcome. Control is a big thing for me. I wanted to control the way you guys view me. I wanted to control my image. Okay? So me talking without any of that. So far, so good. So... The next, the, next, the next pillar is sort of the, the gospel, you know, resting from having to achieve. And actually, I think resting from achievement, this is the thing I know personally I have the hardest time doing. I like achievement. I like accomplishments. I've been, I've been very much listening to uh, a rapper whose name is NF. He is, um, he is a Christian, but not a Christian rapper. I personally believe that he's a modern psalmist. The words that he sings, it's, he's not necessarily talking about the, the glory of God that you would see in, like, let's say, a worship song. Instead, he's just sharing his struggle with faith. And it, it, to me, it comes out as something you would see in Psalms. One of the lyrics that um, jumped out at me uh, went something along the lines of, it's, it's a song about him singing to his younger self and him saying, um, you know, you feel you you you'll feel a, a good feeling when you get your accomplishments, when you do when you when you achieve your goals, but realize that all that accomplishment will do is get you to set another goal that will not lead to freedom. We like to think that we can control our lives, that we ourselves can, you know what, I can make this better. I can stop doing that thing. And I think oftentimes too, we think of the the message of the gospel in Christianity is almost like a behavioral program, a behavioral help program, right? Like to change behavior. But, we re but, but I know for me in my life, the only way I've been able to stop doing anything is to stop, stop trying to not do it. 
to actually being able to surrender over to God's love. It is, it is actually through that that I've seen true transformation in my life. When I've stopped trying to, to eliminate this thing from my life and I've just given it over to God and surrendered to Him and His perfect love, I've been able to see transformation in my life. But the thing is, is that that transformation actually doesn't even matter to me. Not anymore. Maybe that's how I started. I started this journey trying to figure out who I was. But I don't even care about that anymore. Because all I care about is who God is. Because the more I learned about myself, the more I, I began to learn about God. He is amazing. And the more I learn about God, I learn, the more I learn about who God made me to be. No longer am I trying to forge an identity for myself. I am able to rest in God's love, surrender to Him, and it is through that that I'm able to discover who I was meant to be and be and be that person. And it's not I'm not there yet. This is this is a it's a process. And and we like to think that like there's a work being done. And I think the idea of a work being done is actually not um, it kind of gets in our way a little bit because we think that there's work to do. There's no work to be done. The work's been done. What, has, what happens, the sanctification process that happens as we step in relationship with God, what it is, is it's a revelation. God reveals to us who he is. He reveals to us the lies that we are believing about him and about ourselves. So, I'm going to... I meant to throw this in somewhere and I, I lost track of it somewhere along the way, so I'm just going to kind of tag it on. Um, I'm, I'm very much guilty of this. One of the things that we need to be careful of and aware of is in, in, in Romans chapter 2, um, I'm not going to be able to pull it up, so I'll have to paraphrase and I apologize. So in Romans chapter 2, it kind of talks about, like, the, the whole book of Romans actually is, is sort of Paul... Um, he kind of does this like persuasive essay where he's like, like, look, hey, uh, here are the Jews, and this is what the Jews did. They had the law. They should have known better, and yet they still, they still fell short. And then he goes, well, here are the Gentiles. They didn't have the law, and yet they got to the same place the Jews did. Except maybe the Jews should have known better because they had the law, and, and the Gentiles didn't. All they had was their conscience. But there's something in, that, in, 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 in Romans chapter 2 that basically goes along the lines of something like this. For those that didn't have the law to guide them, it's going to, God is going to judge them with their own judgment that they were casting on others. Basically, God was going to use their standards to judge them. And I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, if I were to be judged by my own standards, I would fail. Because I'm very quick to say, that should have gone differently. That person should have done this. I feel really like, I feel like a prophet in a way where I can say, I know what's going on wrong with you and what's wrong with you and what's wrong with you, right? But, but the, the truth is, is that all of these things that I'm seeing in other people, they're, they're, in my, they're, they're me as well. I do the same exact things. So when I watch somebody and I say, they're, they're worshiping control right now. I'd be like, oh yeah, actually I worship control a lot. 
Um, Timothy Keller has a great illustration for this. Uh, he talks about, imagine if you had a tape recorder around your neck that was invisible, you didn't notice it, and that it triggered every single time you said, ought to. That person ought to have done this, and that person ought to have done that, right? And then when you get to Judgment Day, God takes the recording and says, all right, here we go. Let's judge you based on all of these things that you said that ought to happen and what people uh, ought to do. I think that's a great illustration for for us and in, 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 in to basically kind of to reorient ourselves. It's not about what other people are doing because you can't judge other people's hearts. You don't know what's happening beneath the surface. You don't know what, 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 what sins they're dealing with. And, and even if they are dealing with sins, who cares? Because you have sins of your own. So I'm going to close um, with prayer, with communion, and I don't know. I don't know if we want to start getting the people ready. So I very much like doing a sermon and then communion afterwards. The reason why I like doing this is because if I cannot figure out a good transition to get my message to point back to the communion table, I'm not doing it right. Every message that I give, I believe every message that is given, it always needs to point back to the cross. Because otherwise, it's just good advice that doesn't result in freedom or transformation or any of that stuff. It all comes back to, to this table, this practice that we do every week where we're, we're able, where we have the, the, the luxury to be able to participate in this practice, we break the bread in remembrance of his broken body, and we drink his blood in remembrance of his life and sacrifice for us. This is a day, this is a, this is a weekly thing that we do to remind ourselves that it's not through our strength that we're able to see change in our lives. It is only through the surrender to God's rule and reign. And so for those that are here, I welcome you guys to participate. And you may be in a position where you're like, you know what? I don't really feel like I'm quite worthy enough to come to the table. That is a lie. You are worthy. Participating in this communion is your way of saying that you believe in what, in, in the work that Jesus did for you. You believe in this, in this good work. You believe in this Sabbath rest. And it is your way of acknowledging that rest. God, I thank you for, I thank you for all that you are. I thank you for your love and your loyalty. The fact that you, we were in a rebellion to you, God, and you continued to pursue us, reaching your hand over the, the, the chasm of sin, to pull us closer to you, God. I thank you for those. I thank you for these things. And I just ask everybody here today that you just continue to draw them closer to you. You give them that courage and strength to take steps towards you, to 
light a fire in their heart, God, to want to know who you are and to not get caught up in themselves, in the mess of their life, but just to focus on you and allowing your light to reveal the things that are holding us back. Reveal to us the lies that we're believing so that we can draw closer to you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.